Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And some great news, we have now reached over 600 episodes all about the afterlife between this show and my second show, Shades of the Afterlife. And more good news, Shades has become the number one most downloaded afterlife podcast in the world. That's huge news and I'm so excited. And the simple difference between the two is here I get to do full length interviews with great, great guests. And on Shades, it's mostly me. I'm a reporter in on the afterlife. You'll hear some clips of great guests, of course, but I do book reviews, tell you the latest news, what's going on in science and medicine in the afterlife, and so much more. So if you're interested in that show, which I would recommend, you can find Shades of the Afterlife on iHeartRadio, Apple Music, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. On our show today, I'm very excited because we are going to be delving into the world of dreams. We have with us Dr. Janet Pitalato, and she's the author of many books, both fiction and nonfiction, including The Dream Gate, Understand Your Dreams, Empower Your Life. And she's also the creator of the Mystical Dream Tarot Deck, Life Guidance from the Depths of Our Unconscious. Dr. Janet is a transpersonal psychologist, dream analyst, intuitive shamanic healer, offers grief relaxation therapy, and she is an ordained minister. Of course, there's more she'll tell us about today. She holds a doctorate in biology from New York University and a second doctorate in transpersonal psychology from Saybrook University, where she studied with Dr. Stanley Krippner, world-renowned dream psychologist, and Dr. Eugene Taylor. Through her writing, both nonfiction and fictional storytelling, Janet offers a glimpse of the inner world accessed through the dream gate and the treasury that lies in dream consciousness. You can find out more about her on her website, JanetPitalato.net. Janet, my brand new friend, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. It's delightful to be here and to meet you. My goodness. There is so much more to you that I could sum up in the reading of bio, and you have really given your life to study and finding out what's available, and then you share it. Wow. And if you wouldn't mind, in your own words, tell us a little bit about you, where you're coming from today, okay. and uh, um, a little of your history. I am a dreamer, and most people who do know me know that I already have my memorial stone in the ground, probably for the last... 15, 20 years. And beneath my name, it says dreamer. I look at a life that I've worn many hats. I've been a daughter, a wife, a mother. I've been a professor. I've been an author, but I've always been a dreamer through all of it. So while the hats come off and I move through different phases and new chapters may open in my life, it is the dream gate that basically gives me life. Most of us look at our lives and say, we get up in the morning, we go to work, we see, feel, hear, touch, and taste everything around us. We communicate with our physical world, but we're only half awake if that's all we pay attention to. Sandra, it really is moving the waking world to join with the dream world to elevate consciousness. Consciousness is all around us. We sit in consciousness 
as opposed to those who think consciousness is in little envelopes inside our brain. The Egyptians pulled the brain out and threw it away. They were right because it's only a transformer, but that invisible hidden part of ourselves, the Sora Mystica, is really what life's about. And for me, that's the reason why I'm alive. Without it, what I see in the physical world is not enough to seduce me to be here. But when I join my dream gate information, all of what I get, and I don't mean dream by just putting the head on the pillow, going to sleep at night, and perchance remembering one out of the five dreams that we have. Every 90 minutes at night, we're going to have a dream. We just don't remember it because we don't wake up. And memories of dream material made at night are not stored the same way as our working material during the day. And so we may get one dream at night we remember. And if we're clever enough, we write it down. I have thousands of pages of dreams from the time I was a child. And those dreams will still have something to tell me because the superficial of the story of the dream is not what we need to see. It's what's beneath it. And that's what dream therapy is about. The dream may tell us that there's a particular person in a particular place and particular events, but each one of those is an image. And that image is a doorway. And that doorway brings us to remember something else until in the end, we have this eureka moment when we say, oh, my goodness, this dream is telling me something that you need to know in your life that you've missed. Do we only get it during sleep? Absolutely not. During the day, we can be at a computer doing our work, and all of a sudden, like bubbles in a champagne glass, material rises. We're thinking about someone, we're thinking about event in our life, or if it's someone like me, suddenly I'm in Egypt, and I'm seeing my friend, my families that are in Egypt, and I'm seeing them doing certain things, and I can pick up the phone and call them. We call that remote vision, and I'm seeing something that happens. Why? It's not out of body. If we're out of body, we're dead. But when we extend our body, expanded body is what I like to call it, we have an expanded experience because we're welcoming consciousness all around us. And that's why we can communicate with everything. I, I studied with a Cherokee medicine man who was absolutely marvelous in teaching me about herbology. And the interesting thing is he always said, go and sit with the plant and speak to it and let it speak to you. And he was right because the song of the plant is really, it will tell you more than any book will ever tell you. And you'd be able to do great healing. It's very shamanic. What does a shaman do? A shaman goes into the dream world. What do the Aborigines do? They go into the dream world. That doesn't mean that you put your head on the pillow and go to sleep. If each person in life would only do this, would be aware they're standing in a grocery store and all of a sudden they're remembering being a child and their grandmother is making a cake that they like and they're sitting down and they're talking to her. If they would realize that that's a message, that's you're seeing something on a landscape that's not around you, that's not in your physical environment, but you've gone beyond time and space to connect with something or someone that's not in your environment right then and there. And you put that material down. And of course, you begin to analyze it and walk through the doorways as to what it's going to tell you. For me, this is what life is about. I've had tragedies in my life. And if that's all I would be looking at, why would I want to be here? I would say life is just tough. And these tragedies are not pleasant. 
Therefore, I could curl up in the corner and cry all day or say it's unfair. But I don't look at it that way. Every tragedy is an opportunity. The heart breaks open so that more can happen and we can see more. And by going into the dream, we understand our life here is so transient. Look at all of the generations and millennium that have passed before us, Sandra. They've all gone somewhere and we're going to join them. All of the excitement of Mesopotamia and the, the Fertile Crescent and the beautiful areas of Pergamon where they did dreaming, the areas in, in Athens where we have all of the ancient mystery tradition. We're going to connect with every one of those ancestors and we can do it here and now too, the Via Mystica. So my life is very much about walking that magical path of the Via Mystica, the mystical path. What I see in waking reality is important. We have to pay our bills. We have to pay the taxes. And we have to eat. Yes. And that's an alchemical feast, too. Part of what I do is you know, I have a chef's degree as a pastry chef. And I love baking. I love cooking. But I love acting and working with the alchemy of the food. Because this is love. And this is joining with all the ancestors who cook and bake with me. And give me information about making things better. So it's expanding our consciousness. That's what I do. Incredible. No wonder we get along so much. I'm just picking up on that. I'm a chef too. Oh, great. <laughs> Graduate of the Culinary Institute of America and spent over 30 years catering to race that car teams. I went to the, Institute, the French Institute in Manhattan, the French Culinary Institute, Beautiful. and actually moved into the city while I took the coursing because I live in New Jersey. And I loved it. And I had a company called Genet Ignatius Limited. We sold to Macy's and B. Altman and major stores. And we were getting ready to really open our first shop in Manhattan. And unfortunately, my firstborn, my, my little Jeanette, developed leukemia. And so in a matter of, in a matter of getting the information that she was going to need the therapy, I closed shop. That was it. And then I had a perfume handle line, which I developed. And shortly after, unfortunately, my beautiful son, Ignatius, passed away with aortic stenosis. I've grown up with death and death is my friend. Death is our best friend. I often tell people, and this is good for anyone who's suffering and has lost a loved one, that we have the story of the Garden of Eden, and there's a tree in that garden. And the Christian, Judeo-Christian stories, where we eat off the tree, and this is why we, we are sent down as the fall from grace. And I have a little different interpretation. We have a fall, but it's not a fall because we did something wrong. It's a fall in consciousness. We're in that garden and there's a tree and there's wisdom on that tree. And that wisdom is spoken by the snake, the snake that's immortal, that sheds its coat and becomes new over and again, that never dies. And the snake tells us, come, would you like a bite of the apple? But there's a contract if you want that apple. The apple is bittersweet. And if you wish to bite it, the contract is that you will suffer as well as having joy. You'll see your beautiful life, but you'll also be disappointed in things. You'll have losses and you'll have gains, all pairs of opposites. Would you like to experience this? And so each one of us that's here has bitten into that apple. And then the crux of the matter is there's always an image of Adam and Eve being escorted by an angel through a doorway through which the grim reaper stands. Death is by the doorway. And if we understand that, that's the hope that death will bring us back to the great Garden of Eden. That's the promise that we're going to be born 
But the birth that brings us here, there's another birth that brings us back into the garden. Death is our best friend, saying that our life here, as wonderful or as horrible as it can be, is all transient. Every moment is flowing toward our return home. And I can look at this and say, truly, I had an experience which showed me 100% this is what it is. My daughter was ill for five years and she was taken care of in Sloan Memorial in Manhattan. I met many people with children like mine that were already on the line to go home. And it was interesting because at this place, I met people from all over the world that I'm still very dear friends with. We experienced something that no one wants to experience, and yet it opened our eyes to something great. When my daughter was at the very end and the hospital could do no more for her, they sent her home and they sent me all the injections and the, everything to do for her to give her the infusions. And I would wake her up at four o'clock in the morning. I still wake up every four o'clock in the morning. And I would have to attach her med port to the chemo. But the chemo would only run 40 minutes. And I was not given a chaser of sailing that I could go to sleep. So I would kneel on the wooden floor. And it was September because she was in palliative care under me from September through January. It was just her anniversary on the 23rd, over 36 years that she passed away. She was just a, a baby. And while I was on the floor, I would have my rosary beads with me. I was brought up as a Roman Catholic. And I grew up with a Franciscan monastery as part of my home, really. My parents were both third order members. My mom cooked for them. My dad drove the monks and our vacations just circled around the, the priests. I still absolutely adore the Franciscans. And the fathers had always said to me that when you say the rosary, they were really making me do a mantra. Just say the one prayer over and over and over and over and just don't think. And that's what I would be doing at four o'clock in the morning, watching the chemo drop. And suddenly, I found myself on the ceiling of the room, looking down at my body that was saying the rosary, my daughter that was getting the chemo. And I heard a voice, and the voice said to me, you agreed to this. Do you remember? And believe me, Sandra, when I was up on that ceiling, I not only remembered and knew that I agreed, but I also knew that it was, it was absolutely no big deal. It was as though I had agreed that my daughter would go and play in the park for a while without me. And then I would eventually go to join her. And then all of a sudden, psh, I would be washed back into my body. And I'd say, what was that? I agreed to that. That's horrible. And I would move through September, October, November, December. Every week, she had that infusion that I had to give her of chemo. By the time she passed away, I was totally convinced that there was a truth to that, that each one of us has a pre-birth contract. We bite into that apple and we have choices. And Plato talks about this in the vision of Ur, speaking about the first young man who's piled onto a, a cot with all of those who died in the battle. He's brought back to Greece. He's a, a, one of the lieutenants or the captain's sons, and he's alive. And he talks about his near-death experience. And he talks about the fact that each being, it's a coming and going. We're not given a carte blanche, but we're given choices of what we're going to experience in life. And then we're sent. And usually there's the story of being dipped into the waters of forgetfulness. So when we come, we don't remember the waters of Lethos are upon us. And when we think about 
the waters of the river Styx, which is the waters where Chiron takes us back to the other world. It's interesting that the mythology of the great hero who only has the Achilles heel, that is, is his sore point, is when his mother dips him into the water of the river Styx and he's protected. But only his heel is not because it's not put into the waters of death. And it's again, looking beneath the story, it's saying to us, life is going to be tough and we're only protected if we realize death is our friend because we're going home and we're not home. We're visiting here. We're visiting. And I remember telling my mother that when I was a child, I was visiting. She wasn't really my mother. The family wasn't really my family. And my name is not really Janet because who was I before she gave me that name? And I was, again, I was four years old sitting by her easel. My mom was an artist and she showed me a baby picture, fat baby. I was 10 pounds showing me this and saying it didn't win a prize when she wanted it to win the prize. And I remember looking and saying, this baby is not so pretty. Why, why did my mother think it should be a prize? But then I realized the me then looking at this picture, I didn't look like that. And I had three older brothers and I thought someday I'm going to be as old as they and as old as my mother and my aunt who was 20 years her senior. The whole generation went by and it was kind of like, who am I really? If you can't look at me and know who I am, because that depends on when you're looking at me and how old I am and who was I before I was that fat baby. And it was from that day on, really, I all of my artwork, I never signed anything. I put a flower because I didn't know what my name really was. It's been a magical life. Let's, in a moment, I want to ask you about afterlife connections and dreams and all that. But I know earlier, before we started, you were talking about your grandfather and your dreaming and this connection happened, started at a very young age. Besides, I was, I was once experience. again, four years old. And the same way that at four, by the way, I sang opera. And one of one of the songs that was the first song that I sang was from the Bohemian Girl. It was an operetta. Now, I had an enormous voice, an operetta voice. I had all the solos when I was in Glee Club and Choir. The song was a song about a young woman who I dreamt I dwelt in marble halls. She knew that where she lived, and it was, it's a Laurel and Hardy, beautiful comedy. It's a comic operetta. But it's a, it's a magnificent story because the child is taken. She's kidnapped by the gypsies. And Laurel and Hardy, of course, are the ones who raise her, which is more hysterical. But she opens up the little gypsy card and she sings how this is not where she came from. She came from someplace else. But she did. That was my theme song. I dreamt I dwelt in marble halls. And fast forward to talk about magic. Years later, my husband bought me a music box. And that was one of the 15 songs on this old Regina music box. It's a song for every one of us. But at that same time, when I'm thinking, who am I? My, I was home. I was not in school yet. So I was about four years old. My mom got a phone call that my grandfather, her, her father, had taken a stroke. And we went down to grandpa's house. I stood by his bed and I held his hand as grandpa died. I was the baby of the entire family. And so probably the only one that was home anyway, everyone else was in school. And grandpa passed away holding my hand. And my mother opened up my fingers and brought me home. And I ran up to my bedroom to play. And grandpa was sitting on the bed. And we played and talked. 
when I was taken as a little girl in my little white dress that my mom made me to the funeral parlor. I still hate gladiolas to this day. The whole hall was lined with them. And grandpa was in this box and I couldn't understand because I knew he was still all right. And he came to visit me again on the eve of my wedding, coming into my bedroom. So I've been extremely lucky. My daughter also appeared to me after she passed away. And it's very interesting because it was 25 years after her death. I was not looking for her. It was, and this is important for people to realize, it was not listening to somebody's voice speaking and getting energy around them. It was in the middle of the night, this time of the year. My husband was an accountant. He was working. I kept on getting up from bed to tell him, come to bed. He's working too late. It's too late, too late. And I finally wake up and I think I see him standing by the bay window in our home. And then I realize it's not my husband. It's not Iggy. It's my daughter, Jeanette. And I knew immediately that this was going to be very fast because I knew she had passed. She came to me and she was physical. I hugged her and she was warm. And she said to me, don't forget me, mommy. Now, we had boxes that we had put together with her toys, and we had only begun to dismiss them and pass them away. And I called my husband to be in the room, and he appeared in the room, and she said to him, thank you, daddy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saving my pony. And I didn't know what she was talking about. In the morning, I realized that I was in what's called a hypnopathic state. You're coming out of your sleep state, but you're not quite in waking reality. And she disappeared in my arms. And I explained to him, I said to him, do you remember dreaming last night? Because I knew he hadn't physically walked. He didn't remember anything. I said, it's strange because Janetti said, thank you, daddy, for saving my pony. And he was very quiet. There was one box at the very end of what we were putting into a big dumpster. And I said to him, don't even bother to open it. I can't bear to look at these toys. I had saved everything for both my children, thinking that someday they'd grow up, they'd laugh, they could throw out what they wanted, keep what they wanted. But we always had big homes. We had enough space to, to store it. So I said to him, just throw it out. He didn't. And there were two items. And he looked at me sheepishly. And he said, there were two things I saved. I did open the box. I said, well, what did you save? He said, I don't know what I saved. He said, I, I said, where'd you put them? He said, I left them in the garage. I didn't want to hurt you, so I didn't bring them in. He brings it in, and one is my little pony stable with the little ponies. Now, the connection of Jeanette in the middle of the night, giving me substantial confirmation that she's there, telling me something I don't know, he doesn't know, that he actually has to go out in the garage and get. That was an amazing experience. But at the same time, my husband lost a brother when he was only 12 years old, and he really never recovered. I had a hard time speaking to him about it. He played the accordion. He never played for me. His life changed. It was just the two boys. The brother was much older. He was 19 when he passed away. I'd never met him, obviously. And at the same time that this happened with Jeanette, I'm in my office, which was next to my husband, and my brother-in-law walked in to my office. And I knew it was he because I know what he looks like. And again, Sandra, I was not looking for him. I said to him, 
don't you tell me that you love Iggy because I know that already. I said, give me something so that I know you're really here. So he opened up his hand and he showed me a photograph of my husband dressed in a baseball outfit. I said to him, no, absolutely not. I said, I know he doesn't like sports. This is impossible. So he disappears. I went into my husband, the office right next to me, and he said to me, well, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. He said, you know me. I said, did your brother ever dress you up for Halloween or whatever? No, no, no. He knew nothing. A couple of months later, Iggy's best friend walks into the office. Husband, right? Okay. Iggy. <laughs> he has a piece from the newspaper. I don't know if this is going to work. Yeah. All right. He has an article from our Staten Island newspaper. And the article reads, Ebbets Field last game had island flavor. And in the very center is a picture of my husband in a white baseball outfit. The same picture that his brother showed me months before. Now, I didn't see the entire group. He only showed me Iggy. So Iggy recognized immediately from what I had told him. And he comes in. Apparently, the Staten Island group had played in this game. And he comes in and he says to me, this is what Vito showed you. I said, Iggy, I didn't see all the boys around him. I just saw you in the white outfit. I said to him, don't you remember it? He said to me, no. He said, I don't remember anything about it. So I looked and I said to him, when did Vito die? This was taken after Vito died. So obviously, my husband was in shock. He's 12, 13 years old. He doesn't remember anything, even decades later, taking this picture. So I walk back in my office. He's standing with his boyfriend, a childhood friend. And Iggy's brother's in the office waiting for me. And he said to me, go back and tell my brother to show you my best friend. So I'm, you'll be hysterical. I'm not very polite with these visits. And I turned around and I said to him, they were all little boys in that picture. I said, what are you telling me, your best friend? You're a lot older. He disappears. I went out and I said to him, Iggy, Vito just said that you're, and again, my husband knew I always saw things. And he puts his glasses on and he points to one of the men at the top. And he says, yeah, he said, this was my brother's best friend. He wanted to try to make a match with our cousin. So how do you explain? Now, you spoke about Stanley Krippner. I told Stanley this. And as Stanley said to me, this is called super psi. He said, you have somebody from the other side coming to tell you and show you a picture of something that happened after they died. And that picture is not going to show up in a local newspaper until a couple of months later. It's probably not even an important piece. It's a filler. This is not really news. This is something that happened years ago. He said, your mind would have to go to the past, to the future, to the back. He said, the easiest explanation is that Vito came and spoke to you. And of course, unfortunately, he never came back so that I could apologize and say to him, I'm your sister-in-law and boy, I didn't give you a great meeting. But for those that suffer and don't have these experiences, know that they're for all of us to understand we don't die. We absolutely don't die. Those are verifiable bits of information, and I'm sure that he has forgiven you. <laughs> I wasn't looking, and I give classes for a lot of the mediumship places. I taught an author, Finley, on dreams. But one of the things I don't like to do is to sit 
and listen to voices and uh, because there's energy around people. So I love the fact that mine comes spontaneously. I'm in my office minding my own business and my brother-in-law shows up. I'm not thinking about him. I'm not looking for him. We haven't spoken about him, but he gives me such a validating. And my experiences have been like that, which is why I write fiction, <laughs> because in fiction, I can put this. Stanley is always telling me, well, you really should write it as a book so that people see these are real experiences. But I'm kind of like one who would be in the mystery traditions. Those who've never had these experiences and really are non-believers, they're not going to believe because I tell them something. They need to have the experience themselves, which is what my therapy is about. People will come to me that are grieving, and I bring them into dream through what I call the lucid waking dreaming state. And that state brings them communication from ancestors near and far, because every, we're, we're related to everyone. And then the information, the wisdom comes. And I do these classes online and you know, the information that individuals will bring back to me. And then they go into their own private therapy if they want. But dreams, dreams make us live and they make us move through tragedies, understanding that it's just another experience. It's like my daughter dying. It was such a gift to have her. And I'm going to join her. She hasn't gone anywhere that I'm not going. But the communication from her was amazing. The same way from my grandfather. And I've been lucky because I've had many others. I don't want to spend the whole time on them. But it just to give people a little sight and hope that it isn't dreaming and not just head on the pillow at night, but in waking dreams that they can connect. Can you give us some things that we can do ourselves I'm fascinated by the whole lucid world. And I think, let me just compare, there's so much evidence of the afterlife out there. But to most people, that tipping point hasn't occurred that most people have the information. And I think the dream world is the same thing. People go to bed at night, they think of their dreams as just what happens. Maybe they remember them, maybe they don't. But I also think that tipping point can come too with how valuable our dream world is to so much. But I know through the audience here, so many of us want to connect with our loved ones. Would you offer any tips as to yes. how we could get into that lucid world ourselves and know yes. that our uh, well, loved ones and, are with us? And first of all, a lot of people think that the lucid for the dream is at night dreaming and being aware that you're dreaming. And that's very true. But as I've had a communication when I taught for the society that studies the dreams. And I disagreed with them because, again, I'm always walking the opposite direction of everyone else. But for me, it's not just lucidity during a night dream. And many people can't do that. And that's fine. It's not important. But we can have a lucid dream when we're awake. A shaman has a lucid dream. He's awake. He's aware that he's in another state, a medium especially a trance medium, is aware that they're in another state unless they're so deep in trance and then they're not aware. And that one is not really the state we want to be in. We can do this. And how do we do it? All right. First of all, I'll start with the night dreams because that's what most people want. You don't need to look for a lucid dream at night. But when you wake up in the morning, if someone is going to work, if someone has an appointment at a certain hour and they, they need so much time to get themselves ready to shower, to take their coffee, whatever it is, put your alarm clock on with a soft, gentle waking like chimes about 20 minutes to a half hour before you need to get out of bed. 
and then don't move and say to yourself, where was I? Where was I? The Egyptians felt that dream was a noun and the hieroglyph for dream were feet and an open eye, an eye that was seeing. They were going someplace. Dream was not a verb. Dream was a place. And certainly in the Ptolemaic period, we have lots of information on the dreaming temples and what happened. A, a lot of healing that happened during the dream. And part of healing when we're grieving is connecting with an ancestor who passed to show us that they are still alive because our waking life contradicts that and says that's not true. So you're awake. You've got 20 minutes, a half hour. You ask yourself, where was I? What was I doing? Who was I with? And how do I feel about this? And then you say, I remember nothing. Okay, it's fine. Either get an, a, a, a tablet or a piece of paper or a pad or whatever you want to do. Sit up and say to yourself right now, where am I? All right. For me, I'd say I'm at grandpa's bed. Why? Simply because that's what came to me. And I'm holding his hand. And yeah, what, what's happening here? My mother is off to the side. I'm really, the circle is around grandpa and me. I still see that bed with its four posters. I'm in the family house. This is my maternal background. My, my, and grandpa is there. And what's happening here? Grandpa is transiting because the next thing I see we're still in a bedroom, but it's my bedroom. And grandpa's sitting on the bed, hugging me and talking. How do I feel? Fabulous. Okay, so you're going to say, you just made that up. Yes, I made it up. By faculty of my imagination, the faculty which allows me to make images, the image is important. And so without that, we wouldn't know where to go in the morning. We wouldn't even know where we were. People that have Alzheimer's, that's part of the problem. There's no connection to these images anymore. They don't know, they don't know anything. So when people say to me, it's just my imagination, cut out the just and say, yes, it's my imagination. And thank God I have it because it's the tool that allows me. So now what is this telling me? Actually, it was the perfect example because I don't hesitate, as you notice. I don't have to sit here and say, oh, where do I want to be? Oh, maybe I should be in Egypt, like Step Pyramid, or my 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 work right now on, on a novel of seven, seven books for the series is very much about traveling, and maybe I should be in this wonderful... No. I said, what wanted to come? Grandpa, the bed, the four posters, all of these are images. First of all, the four posters remind me of alchemy. And it reminds me of a, a great axiom of Maria Prophetisa. This is enlightenment. This is coming to understand the gold of creation. Gold was never meant to be the gold as a metal. This was starting out with one, which is me, but joining with another, which is the both parts of consciousness coming together, dreaming and waking moving to another state to create something. And what do I get at the end? The merging, which is the goal, the four in the bed. And what did this lead to? My grandfather transiting. Notice I didn't say dying. He transited because we did transit. We moved from his bedroom where the physical passed into the eternal, which was me as a little girl sitting on my bed, seeing my grandfather very much alive 
communicating with me. The dream, which I just literally let come out of the unconscious, is here to say to me, there is life after passing from the body. There's absolutely no question, especially with those four posters, that's the axiom of Maria Prophetisa from the greatest alchemist from antiquity. It's giving us the hope in something that should come. And it's opening up another doorway for me. And that doorway was in another dream that I had, where when I came to the door, there was writing. And I knew the writing was the Kabbalah, but I don't know the Kabbalah. And I'm lucid in the dream. And I'm saying, I wish they would have given me hieroglyphs because that's what I was studying. I could read hieroglyphs. But then I pushed the cobwebs away and pushed the door open. And a voice from inside literally said, we don't die. The next day, my husband's friend and, and, and my friend as well, a, a Jewish man had passed away. And I called his wife and I said to her, and that dream was for you because the door had the writing of the Kabbalah, which is from Judaism. I said, and the message from Mark was to tell you we don't die. So notice that from a little girl standing by a bed with a grandfather that's passing to a little girl moving to sitting on her own bed an hour after the incident with the grandfather who now is quite alive and vibrant. I moved to Maria Prophetisa, gold, enlightenment. Sir Isaac Newton, one of the most brilliant brains that ever came on the planet, spent years, decades in alchemy looking for the truth. And he wasn't looking to make gold. He was looking for the enlightenment of knowing. And what is that memory that we've lost? The memory is that we think everything that's around us is real. The truth is nothing around us is real. My hard desk that I'm banging on, so it, it's gonna, that's going to disintegrate someday. It's going to fall apart. But what I see in the imaginal realm is internal, which is why we can go past and we can go present and we can go future because it's all there outside of time and connecting like that. So in the morning, when you wake up, whether or not you're remembering a dream, you do what I just did. If you don't remember the dream, what's popping into your head? Where are you? Who are you with? What's going on? And how do you feel? And you keep on writing. And then, of course, you have to amplify as I did to say, what is it making me think of? Where is it passing? Even to the door for Judy, who was my, my Jewish friend who was to lose her husband. And I had the message the night before of the Kabbalah saying, we don't die. That's one of the ways. And I, I certainly had a, a patient that worked with me. I do complementary medicine. He had cancer, but we were working on dreams and he never remembered a dream in his whole life. He was in his 60s. And I said to him, we're, we're going to do this. I said, I'll help you, but you have to make up a dream every morning when you wake up. And for weeks he came. And every morning, every time he came, it was a made up dream until one day he came and said to me, I didn't make up a dream for today. So I thought, okay, Al, that's fine. Not a problem. He said, no, I actually had one. So that's one of the ways that you can begin to have a dream. Also, you can dream incubate so that before you go to bed at night, sit there and if someone just passed or it's somebody's anniversary or somebody's birthday and you're sad because you miss them, actually work yourself up into tears, be emotional about it, admit how you feel, and then pad and paper or hand to tablet and write down, I want to dream. I, I want to connect with this person um, and ask them a question. 
and not a yes and no answer, something you would like them to help you with in life. Show me like I was with my 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 brother-in-law that I had only met those that twice to say, show me something that's confirming. Tell me something that'll give me hope and then go to sleep. Now, if you have trouble that you think you might not remember the dreams, a little hint is for me, I drink so much tea every day that I probably have it. I have the cups in front of me now. And I'll have two or three cups just reading my book at night. And I don't mind. I'm going to wake up during the night to urinate. And one of the things is when you wake up, you're going to wake up at the tail end of one of those dreams. And you're going to remember it. And so I've been known to write as many as five dreams a night. So you can do that if you're willing to wake up and record the dreams. That will help you. If that's not working, we can do the waking lucid dream. And this is when we do what the shamans do. We dedicate ourselves to the harmony of the universe. We don't want to see anything that's going to be in any way invasive to anyone or hurtful to anyone. Never. And then we ask that there's a guiding spirit that will be with us. And this can show up as anything. It could be a grandmother, grandfather, could be a relative, a dear friend, someone that in our life passed away, but we would like to be with them as the guardian who is going to pass through the dream gate. And we can close our eyes and let the images rise. Some people hear things, some people will see things clairvoyant, audio avoidance. It, it doesn't matter. And then we come up with some sort of a question. We're dream incubating. What do we want? Maybe we just want to see our beloved who passed away, our husband, our son, our daughter. And we ask that we might be able to see them. We close our eyes, soft music, something that's going to lull us, or just the quiet breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, and then asking to be brought to a memory, a memory of something with the beloved. And what we tend to notice is the places that we go shift. There's something in it that we didn't see before. Perhaps there's a painting on the wall that we don't remember in the room. There's another room or a closet that we don't remember or something on a table that's there. And we begin to communicate. In our mind, we start a conversation sitting at a table of the questions or what we wish to say to this person that maybe we didn't have time to say. I often have people grieving and they'll come to me and there was an argument and somebody passed away, and they did not have the time to put an end to that argument. So this is the time to do it. And then they come back, and they record and write everything that they saw, because there's little details in that vision that will give them the answers. And often when you're beginning on your own, which is why people go to people like me, you need somebody to help you. It was called Young, working with people for years. Um, each image opens up to something else that you didn't think of. So that dream that you may wake up or even with the waking time when you're thinking of someone that you want to be with you to go through the gate, you imagine a gate or a door, maybe the house where this person lived, a table where you're going to sit in a conversation. You look for all the details of things that are in that because each one will open up to a memory that will tell you something else. And all of a sudden, you'll be able to say, oh my goodness, I didn't think of that. It's called amnesis. 
I didn't remember that. I didn't think of that. That makes me feel so good. That shows me this person is here. And sometimes it's only something little. I opened up the doorway one morning and inside there was somebody that I didn't know in life. I'd never met, but it was a husband of one of my, one of my clients. And all this person said to me was, my name is not, and he said the name that I knew him by from what his wife said, my name is, and he gave me something I didn't understand. He said, but it's, that's not my name. And when I spoke to her during therapy, I said, I'm not quite sure what this means. I wasn't told anything else except this is not my name. She said, my children don't even know that. She said he grew up in a society where, you know, his, his religion was not accepted. So he had to pass himself off as a Christian. And so that's why he took a Christian name for everybody to know. But that's not, that was not his name. I said, I wish I had more. She said, no, absolutely. You're telling me. And I, again, I wasn't looking for him. I just, I go through the doorway every morning, every night. And during the day, spontaneously, things happen. And I know I'm sitting at my computer. I'm quite lucid. But I also know my consciousness has expanded. It's not left my body. I hate that expression, out of body experience. It's expanded body experience, but it's all dream. So I tell people, if you're not making the dreams at night happen, if you're not getting up and making up one in the morning and realizing that making up that dream, like what I just did with my grandfather, is important and, and perfect for grandpa to come forward for everybody today because that message was for everyone. We don't die. And that's the message that you give. But if that's not what happens, then but you have to give time to it. It's the via mystica, the mystical path. You have to be willing to be open. And you have to realize that that ridiculous dream that seems to be so totally crazy is not crazy at all. Or that frightening dream might be the best one you ever had. I've had people come with dreams that they've been terrified. You usually have a frightening dream so that you remember it. And then you need to go through the doorways to what the dream is actually telling you. And the dream may be totally opposite of what you think, which most of the time it is. I, I get people who in the morning are saying to me, I don't believe this. I thought this dream was pretty ridiculous. And then they laugh because they know it's not going to be ridiculous when we get finished. The dream is made of images and the image is the key because it's the door. We put that key in and we open it and we go somewhere else. It's the bed. It's the four posters. But I open up the door and it's Maria Prophetisa and it's the great alchemical axiom, which brings us to enlightenment. That's what the gold is. And then transition, even the word he's transiting. We transit it. We moved from the bedroom in the, the grandpa's house to my bedroom, to him being alive in a much brighter way. And they are much brighter. The life is much, much richer. They're a shining one. There is life. I was at a funeral that I wrote the, the eulogy for my, one of my best friends. And I knew that at birth, her mother had her mother died when she was like I think six years old. She had a, an aneurysm, and she so this girl it was a tough life. But it was her stepmother that passed that I knew, and certainly that this girl grew up with. But as she was presenting the eulogy for her stepmother, her real mother was there, and I saw the real mother. But this is not the real thing. Next to her, there's an, another woman. And this other woman is not the woman who died, but she's telling me I was her second mother. And again, here I am saying to her, no, you weren't. 
Irene, who died, is the is was the second mother. This was it was her mother's sister actually married her father and took care of the children. We came out of the church, and I told my friend, and she smiled and she said to me, "You didn't realize that." She said, "But that was my grandmother. She was my second mother. My grandmother took care of me for years before my father remarried, and I didn't know that." So again, these are all substantial to tell right. people. Now I'm sitting in a church awake, totally awake. I'd be some witness in court. That's for sure. They wouldn't be able to look at me and know where I was seeing what, but it's all to confirm that there is a life. I didn't know this woman on, on, on the altar. I didn't know either one of them. I recognized her true birth mother. She showed me her shining self, which most of the time you don't see, but I, I didn't know the older woman, I thought she might be like a grandmother. She presented older, but I didn't really know who she was. And I certainly didn't believe that she was the second mother. No, the one who died was the one who was her mother, her second mother. This is what people have to be aware of. And they have to be aware that the images all matter. They open up to memories and those memories will bring them someplace, but they have to be dedicated to the path of dream. And not everyone is. People will come and they think they're going to have two sessions and that's going to be it. They're going to be set for life. No, it's like life. Every day you're opening up the door to something else. And it's Incredible. exciting. It is exciting. And the commitment has to be there. So I love that. I love what you say about setting the alarm half hour early to nice music or chimes or something, because I know I've had it in those in-between moments, but then paying attention to the dream if you can. And if you didn't have it, we can create it. Create it. And the, the creation is just as important. And that's just, what you realize. And then we could invite our loved one, right? And then see that gate and walk through it. And how do I feel? And I think the most important thing that you said to me is throw out the word just. Oh. Just my imagination. The imagination is the key to the gate. Oh, yes. This is good. This is real good because everyone wants to feel and their every, loved ones. Everyone can. I, I have nothing against mediumship where someone will get on a platform and, and give some messages. It, it helps in grieving. But it's a band-aid at best unless someone has their own experience. And that's what I'm about. It's about giving you your experience. I can tell you what I've experienced but I want you to experience your own, which is why all of my work uh, on the Via Mystica, and it's at least once a week that I'm on with classes, it's all about people going in on their own and having experience and then sharing it. And of course, when they really want to move into what the images mean, they come and they get private sessions because you need to have that background. How do you go from four, a four-poster bed to the alchemical uh, axiom. Once you begin to see that, how do you go from like yesterday, one of my private clients sent me a, a, a couple of pictures of something they saw on the road, things that connected. There, was a, a, there were issues between statues and reality, and it had so much to do with her life and what's going on. And she knew that it had something to do. So I'm, I'm always there saying, okay, this is what you're seeing. This is important. This is what we'll go into but it is paying attention. And what your eyes see can be deceiving. 
I often laugh. Uh, Christina Morgan loves it because she's down under and the sun is above and it's night for me and the sun has gone down. And I'm saying to her, for each one of us, we're looking and saying the sun has set, the sun has risen. The sun doesn't do either. The sun is always in its location. Our perception makes us believe that's what it's doing. Our perception is transient and passing and not true. It's one location for the sun. So realize in life what we think we're seeing is an illusion half the time. And what's hidden is beneath everything we see. The same way that when we look, I, I have my tarot cards and I remember when the, the senior editor looked at the, the images all put together and said to me, every card is filled with all images. It's not a typical tarot, which some people hate because they want a typical tarot. That's fine. You can use it as one. But the thing is, I'm filled with images because that's what I'm about. And the one card that only had an onion on it, she said to me, maybe you want to change this. I said to her, no, absolutely not. I said, that card is one of the most important because you have to peel that onion. It's many layers. And it may be sweet or it may be bitter. It may, it may make you cry uh, or it may make you remember maybe going out to dinner with your beloved and they, they served onion soup. And that was one of the times when you knew you loved them. I said, in fact, sometimes you might look at it. It might be a ball. And other times, like I remember being at Arthur Finlay and using that card with a couple of people. And for one woman, I said to her, no, it's an apple. I said, and it's the apple from the fairy tale from Snow White. I said, and it's the evil witch, and it's Snow White having to leave home because it wasn't safe. I said, there was something in your childhood that wasn't safe. And she said to me, yeah, her father was abusive, and she had to leave. And of course, the card that was the onion that turned into an apple for me, and a rotten apple at that, brought me a fairy tale. And that fairy tale was right on for what this woman had to suffer in her life. So you see what I'm saying? That's what I mean by an image being doorways. The onion brought the door of the apple. The apple was rotten. The wicked queen looking in the mirror and then Snow White running away. It always fit. You know how connected we are? Just before you started talking about the onion, I saw an onion in my mind and started peeling it away. And then you start talking about the onion card. Perfect. Goosebumps. Connected. Would those cards be a good tool when we wake up in the morning and we're in this spot? And if we don't remember our dream to just take a glance at the card. Okay. Let me stop you for a minute because one of the tools that I do recommend is shuffling the cards, taking two cards, just randomly picking two cards, put it, placing them on the side of the bed at night thinking about what it is that you want to dream about or who you want to dream about, and then taking one of the cards. And this card happened, and I often say, don't even look at what card I gave it from a tarot deck. Look at the image. And it's someone with a crow on their back, but there's clouds in the sky, but a rainbow is about to appear. And so it is certainly appropriate for anybody who's suffering the loss of a beloved. They're sitting on the stone in the middle with the waters of the unconscious floating around them, the sun and the moon on either side. It's cloudy day. They've had losses and I've had people around me now with new losses, but it's showing you that there's something good coming. There's a rainbow in the clouds. That's the only one that you look at and you go to bed at night. And then in the morning, you either make up 
the dream. Like I said, where were you? What were you doing? Who were you with? And how do you feel? And then you look, you know that none of this was fixed. I just did this. <coughs> you have the blue lotus, which represents very much in antiquity, that which alters consciousness. It rises from the mud at the bottom of the Nile. And in the morning, it, it is beautiful and aromatic, rising for a new day. And we have a young woman growing from that blue lotus, holding a dove of peace, as though all peace is going to radiate from the sorrowful image that we started out at night to the image of something good coming. This is the rainbow made manifest in the lotus that rises from the depths. And it is, we know that the, the blue lotus is something that's associated with altering consciousness. So in a way, it really is saying, go into the dream and the dream will help you to survive the tragedies of the physical. Because like the sun, that neither rises nor sets, but gives us the illusion of it. So does death not be the passing of the great spirit of who we are. We're eternal and we go to that mansion of millions of years, but we don't know that unless we join with the, the dream consciousness. And as Carl Jung used to say, if all we do is look to the waking rational world, we're not awake. So don't we want to be fully awake? It's only by going in dream. Yeah, Heck yes. So yes, you're certainly using, and mine, we've got 78 cards that every one of them have images. Somebody could, if they want to just open up a magazine or a book and put it to pictures, and I don't want to make this that they have to buy my cards, but they, it's some sort of an image, one that you look at at night and one that you don't with your dream. And when we work on that, it gives you the story of you at the time that you're doing it. And the magic of the dream, as I did in my doctorate, I worked on a 600-page dreaming that I did. I told them that during my first doctorate, which was in single-cell electrophysiology on isolated sinus node tissue, I was deep into medical research. During that first doctorate, I followed the scientific method, make a hypothesis, check your hypothesis, and it's repeatable everywhere in the world. That's the only way it'll work. This is not. What it means is that what that dream might have meant to me yesterday, today it might be a completely different meaning. That's what's so beautiful about images. They grow. And that's why in my book, I teach people how to write your own dictionary. The, the publishers actually wanted me to do a dream dictionary. And I said, that's not what I want to do. The same way that actually I wrote the book of meanings for cards simply because they forced me to do that. I really prefer people just look at the cards, find the meaning for yourself, because meaning can be very unique. You don't have to take what I say about the cards. You look at the, what it means to you. It's, and it just grows every day. So if you have, especially an electronic dictionary, you can constantly add. If you're doing it in a physical book, a little bit more difficult. Loosely would probably be better. We are on the same wavelength so much, and it must be because you and I are so present with each other, because what just came into my mind was ask her, do people need to, because yeah. I know people, people want to get a dictionary, what does this dream mean, as opposed to feeling into it, and then you just naturally went there. Oh, I love it. Your book is called The Dream Gate. The Dream Gate. Yeah. Tell us what we'll find in that. Okay, what you will find is a little bit of my history, which I've already shared with you, because I feel like dream is a territory like the Egyptians. I believe it's a place we go and we want to go with somebody who's been there 
and knows the terrain. So that's why I start the book with a bit of my history. In fact, I have a copy here. And for those listening, you can't see, but Janet's been holding up her cards. She's showing us her book. And it won the cover award. And that cover, not meaning cover of the book, but it's for the Coalition of Visionary Resources for being for bringing in visionary information. Congratulations. What, right, what I do, in fact, you can see that we have the bird with the key um, showing us that really flying beyond what we see in waking reality. The dream gate is going to help you expand your consciousness to beyond what you think you you see only in the waking reality. A beloved has passed away. You're not going to see them physically here, but are they really gone? No. And by having your own experience, what the dream gate does is it brings you the different ways that you can move through your dreams to understand better their full meaning. And as I look at it here bring you to one of the pages, for instance, it will start with the dreams as a source of guidance, of healing, of bringing you to understand where you are and where you're going. And then it's empowering the dream, showing you that you create pictures, draw even if you're not an artist. And then at the end of the book, I bring you on pilgrimages. So I'm actually taking you to places like the old Shirarium, a, a very sacred place in ancient Turkey, where the Hellenistic dream incubation was happening and in Pergamon. And although the ancients could travel with their feet to places that were physical, and I, I am right now looking into doing things in Turkey um, that'll possibly be in 2025, where we actually go to places like Pergamon. But we don't need to go physically if we can't afford to, and we certainly are too far and, and are busy with work, but we can go in a waking lucid dream. So I have dreams for you to record, listen to, and take those pilgrimages for healing and for communication with the ancestors. So that's what the dream gate is about. It's to bring you communication with your inner self and with what I call the Sora Mystica, the, the sister of the soul that is with us from birth before birth, guiding us and bringing us like the voice that brought me to remember that everything we're doing here, we agreed to do. It's all part, it's all part of our learning and it really is okay. So we can suffer whatever we need to suffer. And I often say every tear that we have is like a pearl. It's just, it, it's a gift to help us to grow and to see more. And the dream gate, it helps you to set up your uh, dictionary, to look at the way that we would amplify. I give you examples, but it is those last pages I think that people will love that if they really want to get started going on a pilgrimage, they have several pilgrimages to go. They can record it if they want. They can read it before and then imagine going. And as I said, the imagination is the key. It's without the imagination, we can't, we can't go. But that's what the dream gate is about. That's beautiful. Throw away the word just. Have your husband and son come through with the dream? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Um, my daughter's son and husband all came through once physically. So I've been gifted to be able to hug them. But they have often come through and not as often as people would think, oh, you have these guides on the other side. No, because when they come through that much, it's actually painful. It's like losing them all over again, because you remember their presence. 
but they have come through. Yes, my son was, as everyone said, he looked like my husband physically, but he was an environmental major and he already was involved in shamanism. He had a great inner spirit. So he has come through, but yes, they've come through with me. Yeah, which has been pretty amazing. I've been gifted with these visions when I'm not asking for them. And that's what I like. That's what I like the best. Yeah. And I like what you say, too. It's great to go to a medium, get some verification and all that. But when you can have personal experiences, it takes you from believing to knowing. Yes. And you have a whole different life knowing that your loved ones are around. I just want to get one final thing in. Journaling. You say you have thousands of pages of dreams. Somewhere that started that young Janet. Young Janet. I'm going to start writing these. Yeah, Janet was always a writer. In fact, right now where I have the these novels that I'm working on, I have one that already has. It's got three of the books of the series completely written, two which are just about 75% and two more that are already on the way. And what are they? Mostly from my own experiences. That's all woven into it. They're all about memory and memory of who we are really beyond who we think we are. They all question what we think of as reality. We're, we're totally wrong on just looking at everything around us. So they're questioning life and reality and meaning and time. They're all about time travel because when we move outside of the restraints of the physical world, we're in a space where there is no time. Everything is present. And so I have characters that are moving to the past. They're going to medieval abbeys. They're looking at manuscripts. And we're working with palimpsests. And of course, that's very much what I think about life. A palimpsest is a, an ancient document, usually written on papyri or written on, on uh, parchment. And because the parchment was so expensive, the monks used to scrape off the inks. They used to use pumice and they used to rewrite on them. But what they didn't know was that what they thought they erased was never really erased. Beneath the writing of the scene, we have the unseen. And of course, I have characters locating what's totally unexpected in the unseen, not what they're looking for. The same way that I have them looking for a cure, which is not at all what they're going to find in the physical but somewhere else. So it's all, it's very philosophical, but it's this love stories. There's mafia involvement. There's, we, we're tracing across continents um, and we're seeing things that are not seen. So we're working from uh, scientific laboratories, which is what I know to parapsychological studies. So it's a life I've written. In fact, my grade school teachers sent me, I was only in the third grade and I was creating my own stories and illustrating them. And the teacher, Mrs. Morgan, God bless her, sent me to the kindergarten to read my stories to the little kindergarten children. And of course, I'll never forget my mother goes and mother and father go for open school week. And they came home. All the teacher was talking about was the fact that she had a, an author, a budding author. And I'll make you laugh because when, when the, the tarot came out, the mystical dream tarot, I launched it in the UK and in the great Wiser bookstore, the most, the oldest esoteric bookstore in London, the entire window was filled with just my mystical dream tarot because I was making an appearance and talking. And I have a picture. I stood in front of the, the building 
And I looked up to heaven, not to my husband, but to Mrs. Morgan. And I said to her, it took me long enough, didn't it? I've had other books. I wrote Student Power and How to Use It when I was in college. I've always written, yeah, you're right. Even as a little girl, I had had no paper. My family was not very wealthy, but my father had um, cardboard shoved in his shirts when they would go out and have them ironed. And I take the cardboard out and I would write my stories on the cardboard. And I found some that my mother had kept and then the little notebooks with the fairy tales I wrote as a child. So I've been writing all my life. I, I just never sought to get out with anything until after my husband died. All my work, I dropped everything that I was doing for everything for family. Family was first for me. So it's only the last few years that uh, actually an author friend said to me, you have nothing else to lose now. So I want to see, I want to see those manuscripts. And I've got a load of them just sitting here that have gone nowhere. I've got prayer books. I've, I've got books on traveling in Egypt that are all esoteric. And I, I don't even market them, but I have to write. And I will say to people, write, even though you think no one else ever wants to read it. I have a note on mine that if somebody should find it after I've gone, just throw it out. I had to write it, but it doesn't mean you have to read it. But writing, journaling is very good. It's very therapeutic for people. And it opens up an entire world. Not only that, but you, you said, I never heard this before, your dreams are not recorded like anything else that happens because dreams just go poof and they're gone. Same thing with maybe some of these experiences when we create them with our imagination and are led by this unseen world into great things. If we don't document them, they just go away and, and our mind will say, oh, wasn't real, just made that up. Yeah, so I no. think for everybody, it's important to to write down your dreams, write down those that happen during the day, anytime. And I think what people... You open that gate. It would There's people, more to writing that we know. Yeah, what people maybe not realize is that a lot of great discoveries and artistic work and scientific work began with dreams. Kekula, and, and this is in the book, I have a whole chapter devoted to the scientists who saw in dream that which didn't exist yet. The great Mary Shelley with Frankenstein, it came from dream. Kate Cooley, the father of organic chemistry, saw the molecule that he could not decipher in waking reality, the benzene molecule. He discovered what it was in dream. And we also have Mendeleev, who is the, the periodic table. He saw a table in the dream with all everything sitting on it. And he records that only one of the elements was in the wrong place. That's his waking mind that put that element in the wrong place and he had to change it. When we wake, we don't remember the dream exactly the way it is. So the same way that when I see things, I always say, I get it wrong. I've recorded it wrong, perhaps, but the dream never gives it wrong. So I laugh when Mendeleev has our periodic table and says only one of the things he had a tweak. No, it's not just the imagination. The imagination shows us that which exists in the great world of, of everything beyond, but doesn't exist here. We can put our hand in there and see something that has not yet manifested. And we have the ability to bring it forth and, and be a procreator. <clears throat> everything is already in what Jung would call the collective unconscious. And we just put in the same way my writings, they're all there somewhere. And they just come through me. I often say, I'm just hearing the story and I write it. The imagination is essential in making us whole and healed. 
and the memory of who we really are. I'm not Janet. My mother gave me that name. She gave this body that name. No, I have the secret name, the same way the ancients always believed. No one can hurt you if they don't know your name. And so in antiquity, they understood that. And we've forgotten that. I'm Janet. No, I'm not Janet. The same way that I existed long before a sperm and an egg got together. It's pretty ridiculous to think that I'm just a biological creature. No, I'm much more than that. I'm sorry. And I think everyone is and everything on the planet is. But if we would only realize that, oh, it would be a kinder world. Can I ask you one more question? I know I've taken a lot of your time. My mom woke up this morning and had a scary dream about my dad who's deceased and he was really mad at her in the dream. Just because we dream that does not mean our loved ones are mad at us. Can you just talk about some of the... Yes, right. And in fact, if you can, have her write it down and send it to me, the whole dream, besides dad being mad, what he was talking about. I can share a dream that a woman who'd lost her husband had and came to me and was terrified, um, so upset. In the dream, she's walking down a street. And suddenly there's a tsunami and she's caught up in the water of the tsunami. If things could not get worse, there's a big black bear that's trying to get at her from this tsunami. It's a dream. So there's a telephone booth that she manages to get into. And I, at this point, laugh and say to her, were you in the UK? Because that's the only place you're going to find one of these telephone booths these days. She's in the phone booth. The water is swirling around her. The bear is banging on the door of the booth and the phone rings. She picks up the phone and it's her deceased husband. And he's babbling on, not listening to her being frightened. All of these eyes are on her as though there's all these beings around her and they're just smiling. Nobody's helping her. And she's terrified. And she finally gets so upset with her husband because she's asking him for help. And he's just being nice and kind, and he just wants to communicate with her. She gets off. She wakes up terrified. So she brings me this dream. She's this the worst dream I've ever had. I said to her, I have to agree with you. It's a superlative dream, probably the best dream that you might ever have. First of all, the waters are the waters of the unconscious. You are not knowing how to swim in these waters. That's why they are swirling around you like a great tsunami. You're getting ready to drown in them. But the waters of the unconscious are trying to bring you a message. And the messenger is that big bear. I said within the, certainly in the Native American tradition, the bear is the healer. And the bear wants to heal you. I said, my dream, I'd say, hurry up, open your mouth and swallow me. Because then you're going to heal me. By going in, you're going to chew me up, digest me and spit me out in a better position. But you're afraid of him. So you get yourself in a box, but the box is still a box of communication. And all of those eyes that are around you are all the eyes of the supporting spirits, all of the ancestors that really want to help you to see, listen to the communication. They've got you boxed in. You're in the waters that are of the unconscious, but you're by the communicator. And the communicator wants to give you a peaceful message telling you, do not be afraid. Don't worry. I'm here for you. I can always communicate, but you're so excited and upset you wake up. Now, why were you excited and upset? 
so that you'd remember that your husband communicated with you in the dream. Because otherwise, when we have a pleasant dream, there's no reason we wake up. But when we have a terrifying, frightening, horrifying dream, we wake up. And that's when we really know something important, not necessarily bad, often good. And her whole life turned around realizing, yes, he was able to communicate through that dream and through that box of communication. She didn't get it with the rest of it, but the rest of it was all good. The swirling waters of the unconscious. So your mom's dream, the fact that he's trying to communicate and that there's anger, first of all, means you're going to wake up remembering this. I want to shake you up. And second of all, I'm here. I want to let you know. And you're not angry when you pass over the human emotions like that are gone. So I often say in any of the mediums that I'm in their circle, know this, that if they're presenting somebody that's mad over something, angry over something or whatever, they're giving the imprint of what that person was here, not on the other side. We all come to manifest a certain aspect that's important for the balance of the universe. And everything has to be here. So those of us who've come to carry our weight of sorrows are balanced by those who have the joys. I look and say every time I cry, someone else is going to smile and laugh. That's okay. I had my laughter at a time too. Everything needs to be balanced. So those dreams that you think are horrifying, terrifying, or somebody's angry, people that have passed over, they were here for a particular reason. Remember what I said? I was up on that ceiling and I remembered that I had agreed that my daughter was going to pass very young and she really wasn't going to have a life. Five years old was not much of a life to spend with years of chemotherapy and she came for a reason and I came to be her mother, my son as well, for him to suffer his disease and to pass anyway. And then my husband was perfectly fine until he had a massive brain bleed and 40 minutes later he was gone as a major shock. So I know what a long wait is and I know what a overnight is and it's all okay because we're going. But don't be upset by those dreams. Know that death is our best friend. And if we'd only listen to death, we'd understand that we're only here for a short time. Look at all those wonderful people who were born before us and they came and they did great things on this planet. They passed, they've gone somewhere. I, for one, want to meet them. And I know that's going to happen. So it's okay. We have a lot of friends waiting for us, but don't be frightened by the dreams because what we see on the surface is like the skin of the onion. We have to peel it to find out what it means. Janet, you're amazing. Thank you for living your life the way you did. Of course, I'm sorry for all the hardships, but like you said, we bit into that apple, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And there's such a bigger picture. Uh, so we appreciate you. How can people get in touch with you if they wish? It's, to it's JanetPetalato.net. So it's J-A-N-E-T-P-I-E-D-I-L-A-T-O.net. And, and again, if they just look for me online, I'm on YouTube. I, I have a Facebook page. Um, I have classes that I give. Uh, Eventbrite announces a lot of my classes. Um, so they can get in touch with me there. That'll be That'd be wonderful. That's perfect. And if anyone's watching this on YouTube, in the description, there's a link to her website, book, tarot cards, and more. Janet, 
from the bottom of my heart, and I'm sure everyone listening or viewing right now, thank you for being our guest today. Well, and thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing me to just share part of my story. I wish each person that's suffering mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, go into mourning, the beginning of a new day, understanding and learning how to carry the grief with them, because it will just bring them to their shining ones. Dream. Dream, take out the word just, <laughs> and imagine, and journal. I love it all. Janet, thank you. And for our listener or our viewer, thank you for taking the time to be here. Again, you can go to JanetPitalato.net. Her book is called The Dream Gate. It's one of many books. And her tarot cards are called The Mystical Dream Tarot. And I found them all on Amazon. So they are there. And as a reminder, you can go to WeDon'tDie.com. That is my home base. You can find all kinds of great things, medium classes, past episodes, Oh, just tons of things there, including at 2 p.m. every Sunday, New York time, we offer a free online spiritual service filled with empowerment, music, and there's a, always an inspiring address, and there's a medium demonstration included, and that is all for free. So you can watch the replays. You can come join us live. We don't die.com. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I am always, always, always so delighted to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So go cause your own dreams. Hold that key in your hand. Dreams aren't a bad thing. Walk through that gate. Your loved ones are alive. And you will see them again, and your life matters. So thank you for watching or for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Mm -hmm.